let's just dive in tonight and receive this. This is more of a word, a word of encouragement. But Lord, we just thank you for your word tonight. We bless you. And Lord, I thank you for such an open heaven here, such a glory, just easy to enter in, just to flow tonight like a river. And Lord, we just thank you for your glory here and that you'll speak through me the word of the Lord uh, under a mighty anointing and to go out as living seeds of truth and a good soil. Even now, I thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit moving upon everybody hearing this, that to help us to get locked in and focused, to not be distracted, but to give you our best ear, our full attention, our focus, and to be the Holy Spirit, prepare our hearts and minds and lives to be good soil to receive the word. It's water by the Spirit will take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. And I thank you, Lord, for the winds of the Holy Spirit carrying this out where it needs to go. And Lord, we thank you for um, it getting the word, getting where it needs to go and accomplishing what it needs to. For the Bible says it won't return void, but go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. But we know the birds try to steal the seed, so Lord, we submit this unto you, and we resist the devil, we must flee. Anything that would try to hinder this word in any way, we command to be bound right now in Jesus' name and go. And we thank you, Lord, for just clearing that out. And we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well... This is a, kind of a unique word tonight. I feel that the season that we've been in in River of Life is pretty, pretty much over, and we're going to be coming into a completely new season in the very near future. Uh, well, Brother John told me we're just right at it, and I feel that. We're just right there at the door. And so this is more of a word of encouragement to River of Life specifically that I feel that God is giving us. And next week, I feel the Lord has given me more of a prophetic word about some spiritual warfare so that we can get on the other side of it. How many knows that one of the greatest battles really is once we discern the enemy and his tactics, then we can rise up in prayer and use our authority and we can get on the other side of it. But a lot of times, Satan's greatest weapon, um, well, his greatest tactic is to remain hidden. You know, just to keep doing what he's doing, but it's hidden, and people don't know why things are going on and how to dismantle it. So next week, I'm going to expose some things, because it's time for every giant to fall and things to be cleared out so we can come into everything God has for us. So here's what, here's where I'm coming from tonight. This is the word of the Lord for River of Life, um, Jeremiah chapter 18, starting with verse 1. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. It's a real familiar passage. And he said, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will announce my words to you. So Jeremiah said, I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something on his potter's wheel. But the vessel that he was making was spoiled. It was marred in his hand. And so he remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. So as Jeremiah is working the pottery there, or watching the potter rather work it, it got marred and he had to create another one. And so the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and he said to Jeremiah, am I not able, O house of Israel, to deal with you as the potter does? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, you are in my hand. At one moment, I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to uproot it tear it down, destroy it, if that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I plan to bring on it. Or at another moment, I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to build up, to plant. But if that nation does evil in my sight by not obeying my voice, then I will relent of the good which I had said to bless it. So the point here is that all of us are on the potter's wheel. Amen? And all of us have been in a place where God is molding us, and from the time we accept the Lord till the time we die, we are on the potter's wheel. God is continually molding and fashioning us and, and making us into what he wants us to be. We are all a work in progress the rest of our lives, and so it is important that we remain very humble. And I remember one of the words that Brother John brought when he was here was the importance of remaining very humble. And he said to us, you know, but by pride comes contention, Proverbs says. So it's only by pride where there's strife 
in all this fighting and division, the root of that is always pride. And so he said, if you'll remain humble. See, humility causes people to be under authority properly. They're okay with submitting to authority. And humility causes us just to forgive each other and walk uh, in unity together, you see. But whenever pride comes in, that's where fights start breaking out and division. And so it's important, just like we realize from this scripture, that we are a vessel in the hand of God. We're, the rest of our lives, we're a work in progress. And just to remain very humble so God can mold us into what he wants us to be individually and corporately. Now, with that said, there's some things that I feel God has spoken to me to give to you tonight. God is always, I've studied church history, but especially studied revival history, and God has always set his hand against the religious control, the, re, the control of the religious man over his people. And that is so pervasive, and it's always been there through church history, is we'll have like little spurts of, of God really moving and things become real biblical because of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It, it's reminiscent of Book of Acts Christianity. And when that wanes, it goes right back to politics, traditions of men, and religious control every time. And people backslide. And so God has always had to work around that. As it was in the days of um, John Wesley, John Wesley, as we know, because I've talked about it, he always had to preach outside of the church and had to preach out in the highways and byways because he didn't have a choice. The Anglican church of that time was so controlled by man, traditions of men, uh, pet doctrines of men, denominational control, it was so ruled by man that God absolutely could not get in there with what God wanted to do through Wesley in particular. We know, I'll give you just, a, I mean, the shortest version possible, but Wesley grew up very religious in a pastor's home, and they knew about the Lord, and it was a strict religious family, but he never knew the Lord. He was never really truly born again. You see, he was just religious, and he ends up on a ship with a group of Moravian uh, missionaries, the ship seems it's going to sink. He's scared half to death, thinking he's going to die, not knowing what his fate is, because in his mind, have I been good enough, you see? And he noticed the Moravian missionaries were totally at peace, ready to go. And he's like, what is wrong with you, man? And they began to explain to him the gospel. He had never really, after that, and he ends up at Altar's Gate. We know the story, and he says, my heart was strangely warmed within me. He, the first move of God in his life that... God opened Wesley up to really understand the gospel, to be born, born again. And so Wesley thought, hey, everybody wants to know this. So he begins to go back specifically to an Anglican church that his dad pastored in years gone by. He went there, and he tried to preach the gospel, and they didn't want it. They ran him out. And then from Anglican church to Anglican church, they kept running him out. He did not, they did not want the gospel. They wanted their religion. They wanted their traditions of men. They wanted their pet doctrines. They wanted their little religious ritual that they went through week in and week out. They did not want anybody to rock the boat. And when the gospel comes in in power, it rocks the boat. And so Wesley didn't have a choice. He had to go out in the streets, but God was with him. And it sparked the first great awakening in the mid-1700s, him and his brother. And eventually they came over here uh, to the America. And I mean, this was right before our Revolutionary War and everything. And him and his brother, we know the story, Jonathan Edwards preached sinners in the hands of an angry God. It just broke out. And then his son-in-law, Brainerd, Brainerd, began to teach, uh, take the gospel to the Indians. But it sparked this great awakening. Wherever Wesley went, people began to crowd and hear the gospel. And it was just the power of God was so strong on that pure gospel that people would be struck down to the ground under conviction. And it caused many to repent and get right with God. And God raised up another man named George Whitfield that was seeing also powerful moves at that time. But I want you to take note and remember this. 
that God had to move outside of the church. With Whitfield too, the the institutionalized man-controlled church did not want the revival. And I want to commend River of Life because this has been a place that has really embraced revival. And so with River of Life, I've seen how God has done a work here and he's kind of trimmed things down with a group of people here that are really hungry for a move of God. But let me just tell you, as, as plain as I can speak it, that not everybody wants revival. And I'm not picking on any particular denomination because it's all of them, okay? I want you to understand that I'm not. But I'm going to mention one in particular, but I'm speaking of all of them. But in the 90s, I saw for myself, because I grew up Assemblies of God, I saw how God moved in the Assembly God Church in Brownsville, Pensacola, Assembly God Pastor, Assembly God Evangelist, Assembly God Worship Leader. And it was even sanctioned by, at that time, their federal headship, his name was Trask, out of Springfield. And yet, I would estimate, it's just my estimate, probably half the Assemblies of God still rejected that revival. You're just dealing with religious demons. You're dealing with strongholds there of a Pharisee type of spirit. And that's one of the things John Davis has really been big on with me is keep the Pharisees out. You don't want to pastor a bunch of Pharisees. Run them off, keep them out of here, because he's right. They're trouble, and they don't want a move of God. They're enemies of the move of God. All right, so I'm going somewhere with this, if you bear with me. Exodus 40, verse 34, we know that um, God had spoken to Moses. He went up to the mountain, and he received the Ten Commandments. He received the law of Moses written down in the first five books of your Bible. And in that, he was shown the tabernacle. And God told him to come down and build the tabernacle. Build me a dwelling place that I can dwell among my people. And it had to be very specific what God showed Moses he had to replicate on the earth. And so Moses came down, and there were men that the hand of God was mightily upon them to help fashion these things. And in verse 34 here, it was all created. Bezalel and others, they, they, they fashioned it. They made the furniture. They made the curtains, everything. And now it was time. God told Moses, I want you to set it all up. And he's going to start in the Holy of Holies, and he's going to anoint that and back out in the holy place, anoint everything, back out in the outer court and anoint it. So that's what's going on. Moses set it up. He's anointing it, and it's time. And after Moses anointed everything and prayed over it, the Bible says, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. Did y'all hear that? After it was all set up, it was fashioned, it was created, Then Moses anointed it, and then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud that settled on him. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and throughout the journeys of Israel, whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out. What were they doing? They were following the presence of God. And it says, but if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day that it was taken up. For throughout their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and a fire by night in the sight of all the house of Israel. So they were following the presence of God. We're in big trouble whenever people think that they can still have church without the presence of God. But I would tell you that this saddens me to say this. But most places are totally content with still having church every single week and going through their little religious ritual without the presence of God. And they wonder why things are the way they are. Why is it that nobody's really getting saved? Why is it that people aren't really deeply repenting of all their sin? Why are lives not being changed? Why aren't we seeing Book of Acts Christianity with healings and miracles and deliverance from demons? And I would say this because people have learned to do church without the presence of God. 
They've got their little religious ritual that they go through, and it's fine. That's what everybody seems to want. But I'm going to tell you something. When God begins to come down and move in power, it's going to rock their little world. Now, either they're going to embrace the move of God, and when they do, they're going to lose a lot of religious people, and it's going to totally revolutionize their church, or it will be against it, and it can bring a lot of destruction to their church. But either way, God is... Let me tell you, this is the perfect scripture for this. Jesus said, I cannot pour new wine into an old wineskin. The old wineskin was no longer flexible. It had gotten kind of hardened and locked into the... And when you put the new wine in it, that it would try to expand it, and it would just break open like a water balloon that's filled too much. It would bust open... He said all of the wine would be wasted on the ground and it would destroy that wineskin. You see, that's the perfect scripture I'm talking about. The Lord cannot do a new thing in a lot of places because they're not ready for it. They don't want it. And if the Lord was to move in their midst, tables would start flying upside down. Pharisees would start scattering out the door. Queen Jezebel would be exposed. You see what I'm saying? It would just rock their world. Sin would be exposed. Demons would start manifesting. The Lord would come into clean house. And let me tell you something. People wonder, if, if you really read the Gospels, you see Jesus came in at Passover, right before Passover, to purge the leaven out of his father's house. So he goes in there, and he starts driving out all the money changers with a whip, turns over all their tables, all that stuff. But after he cleaned house, then you read where he came in with healings and miracles and signs and wonders and revival started breaking out. You see? And so in the same way, River of Life, it's been a unique group of people. And God has created here, the Bible talks about we all as living stones are brought together to build a dwelling place for God. And God has used River of Life to, he's dwindled things down to a, a group of people that want revival and want a move of God. And we, like living stones, have been kind of built into a little tabernacle of God's glory. And God has anointed us and touched us really powerfully. Thank God for his presence. But I want to encourage you because I've seen a group of people that have been willing to go with God, you see. A lot of places, and I think about some of the unique things about this ministry. God laid on my heart many years ago to have communion when we come together. Most places don't take communion on a frequent basis. But I really felt the Lord tell me to honor the bread of presence and that if I would start the service with us taking communion together and give people a chance to, to make sure everything's right between them and God, and we reverence the blood, we reverence the bread of presence, we get cleansed before God, all of us get under the blood, I felt the Lord put on my heart that he would cause his glory to come in among us. And sure enough, that's what he's been doing. But see, I'm going to tell you guys something. I want you to hear me. Not everybody's willing to do things like that. You see, there's a unique group of people that are not so religious and set in their little religious ways. Is that the thing? People, they don't mean to, but they get saved and they end up going into some, a certain group, and it depends on where you go. Whatever group you're in, each of them have their pet doctrines and traditions of men, and that becomes normal to that person. The problem is, though, is that they begin to think that it has to be that way, and if it's not that way, then you're wrong. As you get all these people from all these different denominational backgrounds, different groups of people, and you start to do something, and this person over here says, well, that's not what I'm used to. Therefore, it must not be God. And so then you try to change it to accommodate them, and then you get this other person over here that says, now, wait a second. And then you try to make them happy, and another person rises up. You see what I'm saying? It's all a bunch of religion. How about we just humble ourselves and do what God says? And God put on my heart that we were going to take the Lord's Supper, and we've been doing that. And some people think, well, you can't take it at home, and it has to be administered by some kind of a clergy, and they put all these different rules. Pardon me, but the Scripture says as often as you desire, and Jesus Christ did not put all those limitations on that. That's you. That's man. And 
And I thank God for a group of people that's humbled themselves and been okay with, with doing things the way that we feel God's saying to us to do it. The same thing with anointing with oil. I felt God put in my heart to anoint people to and pray over them. And, and we've seen people delivered from things. We've seen people healed of things and the consecration in people's lives. But I've been surprised how many people have never even seen or been around the anointing with oil. Also, water immersion. Here we go again. Oh, man. If you don't do it their way, you know, one group, it's you got to sprinkle. Another group, it's the dry clean crowd. If you, you know, and then, and then you've got this, it's all a bunch of religion and traditions of men. And if you don't do it their little way, you have to say little things their way. Some, it has to be you're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. If you didn't do it that way, you're not saved. And then others, if it, name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, if you didn't do it that way, you're not saved. Do you see what I'm saying? It's, it's all this religion. And you know what? The devil's sitting back just laughing and laughing because he knows that people are, are um, missing it so much. I mean, they're, they can't see the forest for the trees. The deep things that could happen in people's lives. How many of you guys in this room can say, Pastor, I humbled myself and just, we went through this. Let me say too, I'll explain in a moment for the people hearing this that maybe... But we've had seasons of fasting and, and God consecrating our lives, saying, Lord, show us, is there any person to forgive, any sin to confess, do a work in me? And we've had periods of fasting as a church. And at the end of it, we come together and we take communion in, in kind of a special way as a church. My wife and I anoint everybody with oil. We pray over everybody. And then we just say those that want to come can come and be water immersed. And just everybody has already been water baptized, but people want to come because they want to say, Lord, I just want to consecrate my life in a fresh way. Well, how many of you guys in this room would say, Pastor, when I went out there and got water immersed and I humbled myself, God did something in me. I mean, say that I've seen people in the waters of baptism, I've seen them healed. And I've seen people delivered from demonic things. See, God, Satan knows that. He knows that there's a power in the communion table. He knows there's a power in the anointing with oil. James said, if there's any sick among you, let him call upon the elders to what? Anoint them with oil. And the prayer of faith will bring healing. Why is it Jesus sent out the 70, the 72, whatever he sent them out, and what? They went out, and the Bible says that they took oil with them, and they anointed people with oil. And it said demons left people, and some were healed when they anointed them with oil. Isn't that interesting? See, Satan knows the power of this, and he knows the power of water baptism. And so what does the devil do? The devil's got a whole group in his army. You ready? I want you to picture an army. And just like our military, we've got different groups that, that are airborne. We've got the, the Air Force. We've got different infantry. We've got different people that do different things, and it makes up our united military force, Okay. Satan has different classes and groups. He's got an entire regiment that their purpose is they are a group of religious demons that are assigned against every single ministry that have them so caught up in politics and traditions of men and religious deception, sitting around bickering with one another that they never do anything of significance for God. And so I've been so thankful and blessed with River of Life that you guys have humbled yourselves and, and said, you know what, just whatever God is saying to us that we need to do. And as we've humbled ourselves and, and prayed and, and fasted and, and sought God and we've been willing to come together and consecrate our lives, I believe God has done a deep work of purifying you and getting you ready for something really significant. And every time that we've done this, this season of fasting and deep repentance, every time it seems like a whole nother layer came of freedom in people's lives. It just felt so clean in here. We come together, it just felt like after, you know, when it rains really hard and you go outside the next morning and it just smells so clean and free. It was like that. It's just, it's been just a beautiful work of seeing what God's doing. And I can't help but think about the pattern, how Moses took Aaron and his sons. And what did he do? He shed blood for them sprinkled the blood, put the blood on their right ear, thumb, and toe. 
He, he water-immersed them first, and then he anointed them with oil. And I can't help but think how God consecrated Aaron and his sons. Why? So that they could move in close to the presence of God. And I'm going to tell you something. River of Life, as you've been willing to humble yourself and go after God and shake off all that religion, let me tell you something. God's been consecrating you as priest, and what's happening, you're going deeper and deeper in the glory. How many have felt over the last couple of years the glory has increased in our midst? We're about to see a major breakthrough. And just like the glory, we're following the presence of God. And with that, God has given us some amazing people to stand with us. And one of them, obviously, is Brother John Davis. And I thank God for him. But Brother John doesn't have any ulterior motives, you see. He's not trying to just make a living or make a paycheck. But he genuinely wants to see a move of God. If you were to take Brother John and just kind of cut him down with a knife and open him up, I promise you're not going to find any guile. There's nothing there. There's not a mixture. What you see is what you get. He's genuine. And I believe that's why God connected us with him, because I believe there's a group of people here that are genuine about the move of God. But just like the tabernacle... Moses set it up, anointed it. God's been doing a work in us of sanctifying, purifying us. And he's brought us together. He's created like a dwelling place. And he's anointed us. And his glory has been increasing. But the glory is also on the move. And I believe with all my heart, the Bible says in the last days, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. I may believe that. And we've been seeing that through the years. We saw that in the mid-1700s, as I mentioned, the first great awakening. We saw that at Cane Ridge. Some call it the second great awakening. We saw that in the mid-1800s. It was a major revival. And we all know about Finney, but it was not limited to Rochester, New York at all. It was all down our east coast and into the south. And um, Edwin Orr, is a histor revival historian said that it so shook the black community. He said he really believes that if God had not poured out his spirit among the black community during the revivals of the mid-1800s, that they might have turned to some things like you see in Haiti. Haiti, they turned to voodoo, you see. But you still see to this day, y'all hear what I'm saying because you know what I'm talking about. Here in the South, you still see some powerful spirit-filled black churches, don't you? You know what that is? That has its roots that go back to things like this revival I'm talking about. God showed up in an awesome way in the mid-1800s. Then we all know God showed up, and you guys are reading about this, in the early 1900s in Wales and then Azusa, one major revival there. And God has been still moving and with greater power and greater frequency. We see the revivals of the 40s and 50s, but then it picks up pace. You don't wait another 50 years. Then you see the great revival that took place in the 60s and 70s, just a decade later. Then you see the great revival that took place in the 80s and 90s. And I believe God's about to do it again in a big way, but I believe with all my heart that this last major move of God, that there's going to be the greatest anointing that we've ever seen, and the reason why is because the lateness of the hour, the seriousness, the serious darkness that we're coming up against, that there's going to be a great intensity. I believe this. I'm just going to share what I believe in, this is my personal opinion. It may be a short-lived revival, but I believe the intensity of this revival will be far greater than the 90s in any other past move. Every move has been increasing in the anointing, increasing in the glory, and increasing in the effectiveness, and also increasing in frequency, like it's closer together through history. And I believe we're due for the next major move of God. In this move, there'll be, when the gospel is preached, I believe there'll be the, probably the greatest anointing since Peter preached on the day of Pentecost on the gospel being preached. 
It'll be so intense that it will melt the hardest heart and it will penetrate to places that you would have never thought. People that others had given up on. The power will be so intense that people will be gripped with the fear of God. People will even collapse under the power of God and get up totally transformed because of the intensity of the anointing on the preaching of the gospel. And I also believe this. I believe that there will be a special anointing on the deliverance ministry because of the lateness of the hour and how much people have opened the door to the demonic realm in the day that we live. People are doing things in this generation that would have been unheard of 100 years ago. But people are dabbling in all kinds of ungodly substances and sexual immorality and occult practices. And they've opened themselves up to all kinds of infestations of evil spirits. And I believe that there's going to be an anointing like you would not believe when it comes to deliverance that the Lord is going to release a power that is going to deliver people, I mean, like you've never seen. Just sweeping through a place and the howls and the screeches as demons flee under the power of God to liberate people. And you know what that is? God's going to set them free and he's cleaning them up as a bride without spot or blemish to meet him in the air. That's what's going to happen. And I also believe in this coming move of God, there's going to be tremendous healings and miracles. I mean, reminiscent of Peter's shadow healing the sick, creative miracles. There's going to be a major move of healing, and it will be in the glory. And I believe this. John Paul Jackson saw other things that have already happened, but he saw that there would be places where the glory is so intense, like a, like a pillar of glory coming down into a location. It would be so intense. He said people just simply getting in that glory were miraculously healed from anything you could imagine. Nobody was praying for them, nothing. They were just simply in the intense presence of God that was so intense that it just simply healed them. And see, as Sousa Street saw that, in the glory, they saw incredible healings and miracles. I believe that we're going to see that in this next move of God, but it will be far greater than as Sousa Street saw. And I also believe the Lord said that there would be wise virgins with extra oil. Not only is God going to clean people up, but he's going to give them the extra oil. There's going to be, reminiscent of the 90s revivals, there was so much refreshing. I mean, you would go and receive, and you would just feel so filled with the Spirit to the degree it was like being drunk in the Spirit and so refreshed. And I believe we're going to see that again, but in much greater measure. And because of the intensity of the move of God and the severity of what's going on in the earth, I believe there's going to be people kind of running to the Lord. There are scriptures in the Bible that talks about these things. It says that in the latter days, it talks about there would be gross darkness, thick darkness on the earth. But it says the glory would arise and shine upon God's people. You see? There's going to be a thick darkness in the earth, but God is going to increase his glory among his people like no other time. I'm talking like since the days that, that the early church was born in the fires of revival and Peter, James, and John and others were ministering in that, I believe this is going to kind of the capstone, the closing out, and we're going to see the greatest move of God. And um, in that, God is going to fill his people with extra oil and God's going to iron out any wrinkles. He's going to sanctify and purify us. And he's going to get us ready to meet him in the air and go to the marriage supper of the Lamb. But see, it also mentions in Isaiah's writings, not only that, but it says that, that people would lay hold of, of a, a man, somebody that's, that they knew that that person knew God. And they said, take us with you because we know that you know God and God's with you. And people would cling to them. You see, I believe that's about to happen. People are going to be clinging to the church and clinging to true Christians because of the evil in the earth and because of the move of God. People are going to be looking for something from God that, you know God? Okay, take me with you. And they're going to cling to certain people and they're going to run to certain places where God's moving. And they're going to find the Lord. I also believe it will be a quick work 
I believe that it'll almost be difficult to keep up with because scriptures like the uh, harvester overtaking the plower, <laughs> how does that happen, right? But it's going to be a quick work. And so I've been praying into this for a long time because we're going to be a part of this. There was a parable where this man, Jesus said, this man found some, some people standing around in the morning. He said, well, what are you doing? He said, well, we're just standing. He said, well, I'll pay you a denarius to go work my field. And he came back at noon, found some more people, same thing, came back at two or three, same thing, came back at five or six, same thing. But see, there was these last hour labors. See, six o'clock was right before the sunset. And that man found some people standing around and said, well, what are you doing? They said, well, we're just, he said, look, I'll give you a denarius to go work my fields. And it was that, that last hour. You see, we all know this. We know the last grains of sand are coming through the hourglass right now. Spiritually speaking, we're like 1159, so to speak. The coming of the Lord is near, and there's about to be a major move. It's going to be felt all over the world. Just like in the 90s, I'll give you an example of what I mean. In the 90s revivals, we had the great Argentine revival. And what happened through David Hogan in Mexico that shook that part of the world. But also at the same time, we were seeing great revival here in America. Rodney Howard Brown, Benny Hinn, the Pensacola revival. And at the same time, it was happening in Toronto and throughout Europe. It wasn't limited to there. This was the time that Reinhard Bonnke was ministering in Africa, seeing multiplied millions except the Lord in the African continent. At the same time this is going on, the great underground church in China was seeing an unprecedented revival, and also in South Korea. So I'm just saying that when God moves and he says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, that was one great tsunami wave that swept the whole world. Many different labors, many different harvest fields, but it was one major move of God. And let me tell you, God's about to do it again. But sometimes the Lord waits till that last moment to do it. And let me tell you something. People have a tendency to make idols. People have a tendency to put people on pedestals, and they have a tendency to um, backslide. And I believe that God in his great wisdom... It's just simply going to send a major move like we've never seen, and nobody's going to have time to make any idols or worship man or get caught up with the wrong things or turn it into a denomination. I think that it's just going to simply end when we meet the Lord in the air. In other words, man's not going to be able to mess it up like they've always done. Every time. Study church history. Study revival history. Have we ever got it right? No. The only time we ever got something right was when God himself poured out his spirit and we simply cooperated. And then shortly after that, we messed it all up all over again. But I want to commend River of Life. This is a message of encouragement for you because you have humbled yourself and God has been preparing a place for his glory to dwell. And this was the last thing God showed me in Joshua 3.1. We know the story. God led, you know, the children of Israel through the wilderness. Now the 40 years were up. It's time. Everybody say it's time. This is what Brother John saw for us when he was here. He said, just like the children of Israel standing at the Jordan, it was time to go into the promised land now. And they simply had to let the Lord part the waters. But we were right at the, right at the waters. It was right there, right at the time. And that's what Brother John saw. He said, you're standing right there. It's about to happen. God's simply going to make a way. But see, Joshua knew that God had to make a way. God had to part those waters. They couldn't get through. This was a time, if you read the story, when it, the banks were overflowing. They needed God to make a supernatural way. And let me tell you something. If you can figure it out and you can do it yourself, then there's a problem. Let me say that again. If you can figure it out and you can do it yourself without God, there's a problem. But how many knows we're not doing that? We're looking to the Lord. In Joshua 3, 1, Joshua got up early in the morning and he called all the sons of Israel to set out from Shittim to the Jordan. And they spent the night there before they crossed. At the end of the three days, the officers went through the midst of the camp. 
And they command the people saying, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, what are they following here? The glory, the presence. He said, you see the Levitical priest carrying it, then you set out from the place and follow the Ark. Follow, everybody say, follow the glory. Do you remember when God showed himself to Moses and Moses said, Lord, please don't send us from this place unless you're going to go with us? Unless your presence is going to go with us, what makes us different from any other nation on the face of the earth unless your presence is with us? What makes a church different from the Elks Lodge or some other stupid gathering out there, not meaning to be disrespectful to anybody, but I'm just saying, what makes us different than any other group of people out there other than the presence of God? Otherwise, what are we than just another social club? You see? And Moses understood that. Anyway, and Joshua said, make sure when the ark goes that you stand a couple thousand cubits by measurement away from it so you don't die. How many are thankful because of the blood of Jesus that we don't have to be afar off any longer, that we're able to come into the glory? But Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do miracles. And that's when I felt the Lord say to River of Life, you have been humbling yourselves to consecrate yourself. You understand that it, it took a special group of people. I, I couldn't have, I'm just telling you because I've been around long enough in the ministry over 20 years, I know how it is. It's, it's not easy to find a group of people that are willing to really humble themselves as what you guys have done to pray and fast and really consecrate yourself and humble yourself like you have that God will do the work that he needs to do to get us ready. I'm just telling you from experience that it's, and God has had to dwindle down the numbers. Brother Holt was with me a few years back, and I'm just encouraging you with these words. He said, I'm telling you, he prophesied years ago, we would go from there to here, a shopping center. And then he said, you're going to go from here to the next place. It'll be bigger. He said, when you get to where you're going, be ready because there's going to be an intense move of the Holy Spirit like you've never had because of the lateness of the hour. And he said, not only that, but there's going to be a supernatural harvest open unto you. Does that sound familiar? You see, so we're going somewhere. We're following the cloud. We're following the presence of God from here to the next place. But when we get to where we're going, we're not just trying to figure out church as usual. Okay, oh God, you know, we've got this. We don't really need your presence. We'll just do our thing. No, we've been following the presence of God and seeking God about how to do it, you see, moving with him. How many knows that we can fish all night long and catch a few fish, but when the Lord shows up and says, cast the net on the other side, that's when you're going to see the harvest, you see. And that's historically what I've seen through history is great moves of God, a great harvest, and that's what we've been going after. But anyway, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do miracles among you. In River of Life, you have consecrated yourself. And Joshua spoke to the priest and said, take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over ahead with the people. So they took up the Ark and they went ahead the people. They were following the presence. Now the Lord said to Joshua, how many knows we need to hear from the Lord about what to do? And that's another thing. Too many people are doing their own thing. They, they try to handle things like a business. Well, we'll just have a meeting. All the leaders will come together and we'll sit around and talk about it and whatever we decide, we'll do. Well, excuse me, but I remember reading in the book of Acts chapter 15 that even the apostles and the great leaders of the early church, when they gathered together, when it was time to make decisions, they said we prayed about it and it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit that we do this. How about we again follow the presence of God? How about once again, we're consulting the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what are you saying? We're going to move with the ark. When the cloud lifts and goes, we're following that. And like Joshua, we say, Lord, what are you saying to us? You're not going to see supernatural victories until you hear from God about how to see it because Joshua, to hear from God, march around Jericho seven times. Do you see what I'm saying? God had to say to Gideon, you let those numbers shrink down. And Gideon said, my Lord, we don't stand a chance. And God says, exactly. Because if you do it your way, then every, everybody's going to be worshiping you. He said, you let those numbers shrink down. That way, people will say about this victory, surely God himself did this. And surely only God can get the glory. You see? 
Now the Lord said to Joshua, this day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of Israel so that they will know that just as I was with Moses, I'm with you. So you shall command the priest who's carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying, when you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Then Joshua said to the sons of Israel, come here and hear the words of the Lord. And Joshua said, by this you will know that the living God is among us. How many want River of Life to be a place that everyone says, I'll tell you what, whatever else we can say, but God is among those people. God's presence is in that house. He's there. He said, and God is living among us, and he will surely drive out the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Parasites, <laughs> the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Jebusites. All those, he said, I will drive them out from among you. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of the earth is crossing over ahead of you into the Jordan. Now then take for yourselves 12 men of the tribes of Israel, one man from each tribe, and you will come about when the soles of your feet, of the soles of the feet of the priest who are carrying the ark of the Lord of all the earth rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan will be cut off and the waters flowing down from above will push back. They'll stand still in a heap. And let me tell you something about the Jordan. The Jordan is a place of great transition. See, I don't have time to really get deep with this, but just hear me. Was it not at the Jordan that Elijah was caught up with the fiery chariot and Elijah took off his tallit, his outer garment with the, the tzitzit, the tassels, what would have been a prayer shawl at that time, and he threw it down to the ground? Was it not the Jordan that Elijah left and Elisha came and picked up the mantle, and said, where's the Lord, the God of Elijah? And he struck it, and the waters parted there. Remember that? Was it not the Jordan where John the Baptist, the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, the one that God handpicked to be a Nazarite from birth, who lived out in the wilderness, that God himself brought so many people out there to be baptized by John and repent of their sins, probably one of the most fiery preachers, a prophet of God, saw great revival. He was actually a direct descendant of Aaron, was technically in God's sight, the high priest of Israel. This man, was it not the Jordan where Jesus came to him and was water immersed? And John the Baptist basically said, I'm passing the baton to him. And he said, I must now decrease, he must increase. It was a time of great transition. From basically the old covenant of what God was doing transitioning to the ministry of Christ, to the death of Christ, into the new covenant. It was a place of transition. And I believe things have been a certain way for River of Life. It's been around a seven-year period. God's been doing a deep consecration. He's been getting us ready. There's been a depth of prayer. And let me commend River of Life about this as well. I've been around this thing long enough. How many have grown up in church or been around church long enough that you know when you call a prayer meeting, not everybody's coming. But yet in River of Life, everybody comes. You see what I'm saying? And it's been a special group of people. In a lot of places I've been in church, you start saying, well, you know what? We're going to have a barbecue. We're going to have brisket. And I mean, everybody comes, man. They invite all their neighbors and friends and coworkers and distant relatives and twice removed people they haven't seen in three, five years. And it's, it's a big crowd. Everybody's coming for the barbecue. You say, okay, well, next week we're going to do a prayer meeting. All of a sudden, three people come. You see? I remember Leonard Ravenhill. <laughs> bless his heart. That guy, man, in a good way, I say this as a compliment. He just didn't care. Uh, you know, everybody says that, but there's a few people out there that just don't care what anybody thinks but God. And Leonard was one of those people, man. He went into a church, and he would go places that it would surprise you, some of the places he went. And um, he went into this church one time, true story. Gets up, sets his Bible, opens his Bible. He's got the church there. And they're all excited because Leonard Ravenhill's come, you know. And he had a reputation as a powerful man of God, a prophet of God, a revival anointing. And they were there. And so he says, well, who's in leadership here? And different people kind of put up their hand and thinking this was going to be a positive thing. And Leonard said, well, <laughs> how long have you prayed this week? Well, I don't know, 
5, 10, 15. He was making them say it. I'm sorry, how long? You know, he was going through each person. And uh, Leonard said, well, I'll tell you what, after he got through everybody, he shut his Bible like this and put it under his arm and said, you guys don't want revival. And he walked out. Didn't take up an offering. How many knows he wouldn't have got one anyway? And just simply left. When I tell you that there's people out there that are not in this thing for the wrong reasons, there are people out there like that. They're few and far between. The river of life has been a place where people humble themselves and come and pray. And I've been really blessed by that. There's been a unity. By and large, almost 100%, as far as I know, people tithe. People give even above their tithe, and that's connected to an open heaven right there. People come together, and we pray, and when I say we pray, you know we really pray. Deep prayer, deep intercession. Some people call it a prayer meeting. It's pathetic. They sit around and talk. That's not praying. I mean, I've been a part of some prayer meetings. That's why I don't even get excited about it. This guy's bugging me about going to some prayer thing here in a couple of weeks, and I'm trying not to say this the wrong way because this is being recorded, but... Um, I don't get really excited about it because the last thing they do is pray. I mean, they're going to have a luncheon. Okay, let's all eat and sit around and talk and call it a prayer meeting. You see what I'm saying? And even worse, I've been in some places where they sit around and go, we need to pray for so-and-so. You know, they've been doing this. And do it. It's nothing but a gossip fest. So instead of praying, they're sitting around sinning in gossip. Little wonder the heavens are brass. And, and, and hell is laughing at that church. And why? Because they don't pray. Not only do they not pray, but they're in there sinning in the house of God, gossiping instead of praying. But I thank God that God has got a group of prayer warriors here. And so when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant before the Lord, and when those who were carrying the Ark, remember the priests, came to the Jordan in the feet, of the priest stepped into the waters, into those moving waters, the river. They stepped into it. It says that the, water, the Jordan overflows its banks at the days of the harvest. It was overflowing. Then the waters which were flowing down from above stood and rose up in a heap a great distance away at Adam, which was a city. Um, and, those who, and those which were flowing down toward the sea of Arab of the Salt Sea were completely cut off. So the people crossed opposite Jericho, and the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant stood firm on the ground, which the, which the ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all of Israel crossed on dry ground until all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. So God, man, the Lord moved so mightily. It was a time of transition. It was a time of leaving the season of wilderness, it was a transition now of moving into a new thing that God was doing. You understand? They were eating manna, but when they got in there, the manna dried up. Now there was a new season, you see. And before, they were drinking from this rock which followed them. Paul said it was Christ, and that was their source, the rock. But now that stopped, and now they, they were eating the, from the land. So in the wilderness, it was one way. But now they're going into... The promised land, it was a different way. It was a new season. God was doing a new thing. And Joshua said to the people, he said that um, you're going a way you've never went before. And that's what I feel for River of Life. We're about to go into territory we've never been. There's new things. Things have been a certain way. And I'll tell you something else because um, Brother John and I have had conversations about this, that, and the other. But there's, there's generational, spiritual, spiritual generation. I'm not talking about biological. I'm talking um, spiritual leaders. But see, one of the reasons why God did what he did in Pensacola specifically was because, I'll tell you something. I believe that God was honoring by using uh, the pastor there, John Kilpatrick. I believe God was honoring um, his spiritual father, Brother Wetzel who was a great man of prayer. Brother John said about him, said that they would have prayer meetings almost every night at, in the church in the evening. Almost every night he spent at the church. 
And people, as they got off work, would come to the church, and they would pray for a while and go home. It was a church of prayer. He was a man of prayer. And I believe, and God spoke to Brother Wetzel and told him, said, I'm, I'm to invest in you guys, him and a few others, because you'll see more people saved in your generation than I will in mine. He, he saw something God was showing him, see. And he taught him how to pray. And I believe God was honoring Brother Wetzel by pouring out his spirit there through and using uh, Brother John is a vessel. And same thing with um, Steve Hill. You know, Steve Hill, I love Brother Steve. God used him mightily in my life. And in many ways, he, many ways, legitimately, he's a spiritual father to this ministry right here. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. Okay, so I honor him. But if you look at Brother Steve, he was a burnt out missionary. He was basically a teen challenge boy that God saved from basically being a mainline heroin addict. And you wonder, why did God raise him up and use him so much? I believe Steve loved God with all of his heart. But I believe God was honoring his spiritual father, Leonard Ravenhill, and David Wilkerson by using him. Does that make sense? And um, I believe in the days to come, I'm trying to be careful saying this is recorded, but I really believe that God's going to do something in River of Life. And I believe that God is doing this um, partly, not fully, partly because he's going to honor some spiritual fathers of this house and their prayers and their faithfulness. And not just one, but more than one spiritual fathers of this house, God's going to honor their prayers, their faithfulness, their walk with God. Does that make sense? In the same way, people wonder, well, God used Joshua so mightily. Yes, absolutely. But don't you know that God was honoring Moses' walk with God through Joshua also? Moses poured into Joshua. That was his protege. That was his successor. If you read the story, Moses took Joshua and laid hands and prayed over him. You see what I'm saying? See, there's things, spiritually speaking, that God honors. What does the Bible say? Malachi, the hearts of the fathers turn to children, children to the fathers, lest I strike the lamb with a curse. God is going to strike the lamb with a blessing because the hearts of the fathers are turned to children, children of fathers, you see. Is this making sense? And I believe God has really brought us together with some wonderful people. I believe that God is going to honor Steve Hill's prayers and investment in my life and in this church. I believe he's going to honor people like Brother John Davis, Brother Holt, and others that have prayed for us and invested here. Their investment, God's going to honor their investment, you see. And he's going to honor their prayers. So this isn't just about the group that's here that's been willing to consecrate ourselves and pray. That's had a big part of it, but God's also got a bigger picture. How many knows in the days of the first great awakening with uh, Wesley? You know, you had here in America a group of refugees from Moravia came, and they were fleeing things in their country. And they end up in the South Carolina hills, and it's still called Moravian Falls to this day. And there, there was a man named Count Zinzendorf. He was a real man. It's a crazy name, but he was legit. And he was a wealthy man. And he gave refuge to the Moravians who at first were fighting amongst themselves. And Zinzendorf meets with them. Nobody knows exactly what was said. But he said, you guys are Christians and basically you need to get along with one another. And you know what they decided to do? The Moravians decided we're going to start praying. And God put on their heart to basically start what we know as 24-7 prayer. And believe it or not, you're not going to believe this till you look into it for yourself, but this went on for 100 years. But they, it was a generational thing. I mean, the group, they just began to pray, and some would take the early shift, some the afternoon, some the evening, and they kept prayer going continually. Out of their continual prayers, what happened? The heavens opened. God began to really move in their midst powerfully. And so in that, God began to honor their prayers, and they began to send forth missionaries out of Moravia, and, um, or the Moravian Falls, I'm sorry, Moravian missionaries that would go. Do you think it's any accident 
that their continual prayers preceded the great awakening that shook England and shook America in the mid-1700s. I believe God was answering their prayers. Not only that, but God made sure in his great providence that the Moravian missionaries themselves would be the ones that would basically lead John Wesley to the Lord. Did y'all just hear what I said? Let me tell you something. There's those that have gone on before us and paid a price, and let me assure you that God remembers their prayers. And so Joshua had to consecrate the people. He held Passover with the people. The angel of the Lord came. And it was time now for the walls of Jericho to come down and for them to take the promised land. And I'm just telling you, River of Life, as an encouragement, God commends you for being willing to consecrate yourself, to be willing to not have church as usual and some dead, dry religious thing, and be willing to be somewhat persecuted for that, but also to be willing to pay a price in prayer. And let me tell you this as I close. Of all the things that Finney, Charles Finney was a really intelligent man. He was a lawyer. And um, when God sent revival to Finney in his personal life, he became a mighty man of God. But Finney basically understood this. I'm just going to tell you what he said. I mean, this is what he believed and what he taught. He said, revival is not some real mysterious thing that just comes out of nowhere. He says, just like a farmer will go out and sow weed in the ground or sow corn in the ground, and then the farmer stands back and expects the crops to come up. He said, in the same way, we pray and we believe God and we expect him to pour out his spirit. And let me tell you something. Finney's right. And not only that, Every revival that's ever happened was because somebody prayed. Somebody says, well, who prayed? I don't always know who prayed, but I promise you this. Somebody prayed. Revival doesn't just happen. People pay a price in prayer, and then God responds to their prayers. That's kind of what I was getting to earlier. That's why God uses certain people sometimes. He's answering the prayers of those that's gone on before him, the spiritual mothers and fathers that's paid a price. And so hopefully this has been encouragement to you tonight, River of Life, but I want to, I feel the Lord wanting to encourage you that he has seen your willingness to be different than the norm, your willingness to consecrate yourself unto him, your willingness to come to prayer meetings and really pay a price in prayer. And because you've been willing to do these things, just like Charles Finney saw, um, God's going to come down in a major way. You know, there was, uh, give me one more thing before I close here. There was a guy named Jonathan Burnus, that uh, Jewish, Messianic Jewish guy that was on Sid Roth one time, and he was talking about how for like months, maybe a year at the most, but he was in this deep groaning and deep travailing. And Sid Roth would meet with him, and he would hear Jonathan. I mean, he was groaning in the spirit. Romans 8, we don't always know what to pray. The spirit will pray through us, even with groans too deep for words. He was in this deep place of groaning and travailing, and, and Sid was like, man, I knew it was God, but I didn't know what to think. He said, I see him there just groaning and travailing in deep intercession. This went on, if I'm not mistaken, for, for maybe up to a year. And you know what happened? The Berlin Wall came down, and they were, people were able to go in with the gospel. And John, Jonathan Burnus, being a Messianic Jew, went in. And he preached to those Russian Jews. And you know there was a revival that broke out among them and thousands accepted the Lord. And you know what Jonathan said on Sidroth? He said they were birthed in the deep groaning and intercession. He planted the seed in prayer all that time, paying the price, and then he walked in and reaped the harvest, you see. Let me just ask you this, River of Life. If God did that in just a period of less than a year, Think about all the deep groaning and travailing that's been going on here for a while. What is God about to do? I believe there's about to be a major move of God. And it's going to see an incredible harvest of souls. 
And in some ways, it's going to be so easy, we don't even know what to do because the Holy Spirit just poured out. Miracles are happening. People are getting saved right and left. But in other ways, it's going to be challenging because we're going away we've never gone before. And when you start getting outside of being out of obscurity and um, the religious Pharisees and Sadducees and couldn't see, didn't want to see, will never seize, those people, they, the critics of revival. Satan always has his, his little champions, if you will, that oppose the move of God every time. In the 90s, there was specific people. But anyway, just don't be surprised if we face battles that we haven't faced before, but we're going to see revival we've never seen before. How many knows that's worth it? So, Lord, we just thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for what you're doing. We bless you. And, Lord, we just ask you to seal this time in every heart and every life. And I thank you, Lord, for what you're about to do in River of Life. In Jesus' name, just let me know when we're